Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I have Frederick Ledoux joining me from Ithaca, New York. And Frederick's been on the show before about his book, Reinventing Organizations. And he is taking a different path now, a very interesting one and a very important one. Uh, welcome, Frederick, to Inside Personal Growth. It's so good to be back. It's good to have you back, and it's good for you to be speaking about the week. It's mm-hmm. for my listeners, it's www the t h e week w e e k dot zero 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 or o o o o o o. Okay, I'll make sure I get that right. O o o. Um, and, and we're going to be talking with you about it and this experience because I've actually gone through it. Uh, and the fact that I'm now going to actually be taking this out to corporations, and I think it's very important. But uh, Frederick and his wife, Helen, and a team of videographers and all kinds of other people actually created uh, a three-part mini-series, I'm going to call it. And you can access it on the internet. You can go again to that website, uh, theweek.oo to get there. We'll put a link to that as well. But I'm going to introduce Frederick. Uh, Frederick is no new new guy to this. Uh, He tries to square, not always easily, the many projects he's passionate about with his inner knowing that he's meant to live a simple life, spending much of his time as for family, whenever possible, in silent presence of trees. I love that. Um, He is a celebrated business thinker and social entrepreneur. His seminal book, Reinventing Organization, sold more than a million copies in 20 languages. It's widely considered to have opened up a new field of inquiry and practice into more purposeful, soulful, and productive management paradigm. Uh, his thinking has inspired countless leaders, from startups to large corporations, from nonprofits to, from nonprofits to faith movements, from government agencies to founders of the most impactful climate movements, Sunrise, Extinction, Rebellion. His focus on the week, a powerful new approach to inspire mass mobilization to comfort uh, the climate and environmental breakdown. Uh, For those of you who haven't heard his accent yet, because he hasn't spoken much yet, but he's going to, he's raised in Belgium. He currently lives in Ithaca, New York, as I said, with his wife, Helen, and their children. And prior to this, his past life was really, really different. Um, he was a former associate partner at McKinsey and Company, received an MBA, uh, and instead, and a degree in coaching from Newfield Network. Well, greetings to Inside Personal Growth again, but we're talking about a different topic this time. You know, you and Helen have a video that you created right at the beginning when people go to theweek.oo. What inspired you guys to do this? You know, you talk about meeting with some friends, it shows you a picture of you eating healthy foods with them in their backyard. But how did this environmentalism thing between the two of you really get inspired to get to where it is today? Because it's come a long way from you guys sitting at the table with some friends talking about, we should be more intentional about the way we live. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it it really all started there with these friends. Um, These were friends who have kids the same age as ours and they were, you know, they had had the courage to really look at what's happening in terms of climate change, in terms of environmental breakdown. And 
and it made us realize, Ellen and me, that we were sort of still trying to avoid the topic. Um, that you know, every time we would read an article in the news that tells us about how bad things look, we would read the first few lines, but then you know, push it away because we felt like, ah, oh, this might be too much. This feels overwhelming. And but these friends, they had the courage to really find out what would happen to them in their lifetime, you know, to their kids, and and so. Um, it brought a lot in me to think, you know, why don't we do the same thing? You know, if, if they have the courage to do it, we should be able to have that courage too. And we just decided, okay, let's really find out for ourselves. Um, let's really read what the scientists say. Let's look, you know, watch some documentaries. Let's really find out. Um, and really the goal was not so much to look at whatever, you know, icebergs melting, but like what's going to happen to us, you know, in our lifetime here where we live and, in the United States, or back home, you know, our friends and family in Europe, and and sure enough, you know, it, it was a shock, and it sent us on this this journey. We sometimes describe it as sort of a, a U shaped journey, right? Like the you know, first you, you go down quite a bit because it's it's heavy stuff, right? Like um, quite a bit of, of fear and anger and, and and shock, but then luckily, we didn't get stuck there, right? We we bounced back uh, up, and you know, we came out of this experience. You know, after a few a few weeks, have just determined that this was now going to be central in our lives. Um, that for for our own sake, you know, so that we are able to say in 10, 20, 30 years that we have no regrets. We wanted to roll up our sleeves, and it just gave us a sense of clarity um, about what's important and, and what's less important, and and just lots of energy. And and since then, we've met so many people. You know, who've been mobilized around these topics way longer than we have. You know, our own awakening started three, four years ago. Um, some people have been in this, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. I, I know yeah. that you've been in that much longer than, than Well, I have, but, you know, if you go back to the times of Paul Ehrlich and all the people that I've followed and studied and interviewed for this podcast around environmentalism, you know, it's one thing to write a book about this or write a research paper, but it's another to do what you guys have done. Um you know, there's action that has to be taken as a result of it. And, you know, it, it, it reminds me of um, Rebecca is her first name, the watchman's rattle. You know, we almost wait until it's doomsday as a species to want to get anything done um, before we change, because we're just who knows what the hell we're waiting for. But it's built into our biology. Okay, it just is. It's built into the biology. So what's the mission of the week? And since you started the program, how's it been growing? Because I know, look, yours is truly action oriented. What you're trying to do is not only create awareness, but then create action. And as like I said, it's it's great to write a book, but that doesn't always create action. Um, it tells people what the problem is, but it doesn't always tell them how to solve it. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, when we came out of this, you know, experience for ourselves, and we really realized, you know, what the situation is, and when we decided we wanted to do something about this, um, we fi we figured, hey, what we've just been through, you know, is what so many other people are are waiting to go through. I mean, so many of us, you know, know that you know something is really concerning around the climate and around the environment. But we don't know how to engage, right? Because it it feels overwhelming. Because we feel like, oh, you know, what can I do anyway? You know, I'm going to be too small to to really make a change. 
And so it, it didn't take very long for us to figure out the problem is not access to information. Right, no. But the information is out there. It's right. actually that most of us don't want to engage with the information because we feel that emotionally it will be overwhelming. So it was clear for us that we weren't going to write another book or just do a standard documentary that would provide information and facts because there's tons of them out there. What we wanted to create is actually a space where it's safe enough to engage with that information, right? And so that's why we devised this, this thing. And it's for in our mind, it's not a documentary, but it's a, it's a group experience, right. right? So maybe I should explain a little bit what the week is. So the week is a group experience. So something that you do with your friends, your family, or your colleagues, or you know, fellow worshipers in, in your church or in your synagogue or in your mosque. Um, anyway, whatever group of people is important to you, um, and you meet for three times during a week. Um, and every time you come together, um, you watch a one-hour documentary. And in that, you know, that documentary is is a documentary we've very scared, carefully scripted and written in order to make it possible to face these facts in a way that is both very profound, but is safe enough to actually go there. Right? Mm-hmm. And not do what we've been doing for years before that, which was to try to push away the bad news. And so every time you come together for an hour to watch this, this documentary, and then we set up a conversation in your group for the next half hour. And you don't right. need to have a facilitator in your group. So whoever organizes this, we set up the conversation for you with a little video. Um, and it's really in that conversation that the magic happens because the group basically, you know, discusses and shares what shows up for them as they go through the same sort of U-shaped journey that we've been through, right? That's what the three doc, you know, episodes do. So episode one is quite brutal. It shares everything that you might've been trying to avoid, but in a way that is very simple to understand very much about like, Hey, what's going to happen to me, to my children, you know, in my lifetime, we ask people to calculate how old will you be in 2050 and, you know, how old will a child that's important in your life be in 2050 and, I remember when I did that for myself and I realized, hey, in 2050, my children who are now nine and nine and 12 will be younger than I am today. And I, I feel pretty young. <laughs> you know, I realized like, wow, you know, suddenly 2050 feels very close. And then we talk about like, what, you know, do scientists say, will the world look like at that time? So episode one is, is quite hard, but we make it safe enough to go there. And then you have a conversation with the group, which means that you're not alone in facing this. You're suddenly there with your friends, your family. You've all seen this together. And you all process it together, right? And then you can't binge watch. That's one of the things. You actually have to sit with it for at least 25, four hours. So, you know, you actually really, you know, grapple with this. And then you come watch together it. for the second. You know, I think yeah. what you and Helen have done and the way the, the I'm going to call them little mini series. I'll keep saying that because it's kind of what they are. You know, you, you made it very personal. Uh, even the way the camera has the two of you at the beginning right next to one another at a desk, it's a very personal, like upfront conversation with people, right? And then throughout this, so that my listeners know I've been through it. So for personal experience, um, what happened for me was the first video, first segment going down the U as he's talking about is all about the challenges we're all facing, right? And it it did bring up a lot of emotion for the people that were involved. Um, I at one point the gal from France who was speaking, um, I was crying. Okay, I literally was crying uh, by what she was saying that she didn't 
can predict her future, just like you said, your children. That's what you're looking for. And I think that that emotional aspect, plus the two of you speaking personally, the way you do in the beginning of this, and then you have a third narrator, who's marvelous, by the way, who speaks through much of it as well. And I'm I'm just going to encourage my listeners, you know, go to theweek.ooo and just set up a group yourself. I don't care if it's one person, three people, 25 people. It really works when it's a little smaller. So I wouldn't say get it more than about 20 uh, to do that. It also should be in businesses as well. That's what I was told. That's what I was just telling Frederick. I plan to take this to businesses because if businesses can start being more socially responsible, more concerned about the environment, using more sustainable products and things, um, we can help CO2 emissions. We all know CO2 emissions are really the biggest thing. If temperature rises and keeps rising and keeps rising, we're going to have floods, we're going to have fires, we're going to have all kinds of things that are going to occur. Um, tell me though a little bit about this because like making this documentary miniseries was not cheap. You were fortunate enough from what I heard to be funded through a donation to help you create this three series to make it up. And it took a while to make. I guarantee you this just didn't occur overnight. Uh, this film crew worked tirelessly uh, to get this done, to get all these people from these different air- continents, right? You got people in Europe that you're that you're videoing. How did that happen? And how long did it take you to create and shoot and edit this miniseries? I'll, I'll answer your question, but just before that, I, I just want to say that, you know, the first day is, is, is sort of hard because we face the facts, but there's also right. some relief, right? Like, yeah. finally, I have engaged with this. Like, I no longer need to push the topic away. Um, in the second episode, the bottom of the U, we, we sort of look how we got into this mess and how we cook it out. But then a third episode, like, builds you up again, right? And it's, like, full of inspiration. So you, people come out of this, like, energized. And, the, I mean, the virality we're already seeing is amazing. Like, people are so energized by this that they tend to say, like, hey, I've seen it at home. Now I want to bring it into my organization, like you were saying. Or people see it inside a workplace. And then they say, like, hey, my wife or my husband and my friends need to see it. So, you know, it's I, I don't want people to think that it's only hard. It's just the beginning that is hard. But then actually, at the end of it, you come out of it really energized um, to do your part. So back to your question. Um, yeah. So um, we, it's you know, when... And we just had this clarity that this is what we needed to do, but we had never done films. Ellen, my wife and I, we'd written books, but never done films. I didn't even know where to begin. Um, didn't even know how much it would cost. So, you know, we talked to film teams and then get some idea of how much it would cost. And films indeed are expensive. And so we, I, I learned to fundraise, which I had not done before. And I was lucky that, you know, my book, my previous book had been quite successful. So there were a number of, of sort of entrepreneurs that trusted me and, and just, you know, made small, medium, or larger checks um, as, as donations because they believed in this in this vision. And that allowed us to, you know, to fundraise enough money to make the films happen. And it took us um it took us three years to I make figured. it happen. We 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 prototyped and tested this quite a lot. We actually had five thousand people go through test versions of this where we simply read scripts to people on Zoom just to see would the scripts work because you know once you decide on the script you know that the film is locked it's very hard to change it um so we had like five successive rounds of testing and just had groups after groups go through this and just see you know is, is this working because so many of us come into this like not sure like ah do i really want to do this do i not want to do this um and and again what we what i've learned in the experience is that um people tell us all the time like oh 
I'm so relieved I finally engaged with the topic because I knew it was there and and I wasn't really engaging. Um, and I, I really do believe like that our children will ask us in 10, 20, 30 years, like, what did you know? And what did you do? Hey, daddy, why didn't, you know, why weren't you at the forefront of this? And so I want to be able to say, hey, you know, I, I, I woke up to this and I, you know, I did my part and, and more than doing my part, it was, it was joyful, right? I like, this is, I'm, I'm convinced that facing the climate emergency and environmental breakdown is going to be the defining adventure of the next decades, right? For humanity, there's no way around it. And so when there's an adventure, we have a choice, right? Like every generation that gets like a big adventure, you know, thrown at them, you know, people who had to free the world from fascism, you know, or like, you know, do you join or do you stay on the sidelines? And, and I, I much rather join, join this. Um, and it's, well, it's a peace, it's a, it's a peaceful movement. Let's face it. I mean, that we're all in it together and it's all our individual actions that make up the grand total scheme of what's actually happening. And, and at its best, you know, it's like, well, do I think about that flight that I'm going to take because of the amount of emissions that the plane is going to do? And I'm going to offset it with carbon footprint, my carbon footprint. Um, I, I noticed that CBS even just the other night on a documentary, 60 minutes, uh, was profiling the, uh, collection, the air collection units for CO2 in Iceland, right? And now you're seeing oil companies, uh, like, um, one of the big ones involved in building more of these plants all over the place that are collecting, um, air intake and literally shooting the carbon down into the ground and, you know, making it harden. And basically I think, look, that's, that is a, that is at its one area. We don't know, uh, Frederick, if that's going to solve the problem quick enough, fast enough. And I guarantee you it's not, it's going to be helpful. Um, but I'm hopeful. And you were, you have three main issues you address in the program. And what role do you believe technology could play in reducing this carbon footprint? Because, you know, look, uh, it's, it's, there are things going on that you know about that I know about. And it might be good to share one of these things. And what is it that you believe? I know my son, I was talking to him about, you know, just chat CBT. And he's, you know, my son's very much an environmentalist and a minimalist, and he works at Adobe. And he said, look, what you guys don't realize is that all these computers that are running to run Amazon and to run Google and to run CBT are increasing our carbon footprint because they're using more electricity, right? And electricity is being created by fossil fuels. I don't think anyone ever gives that a thought. You know, they're like, hey, we're just going to keep using this and we're going to keep developing that. What What do you think technology can do to help us as we move forward? I mean, specifically on carbon, um, I think technology can play a huge role, right? And in particular, renewable energies. Right? There's no doubt about it. Like if we want to get off fossil fuels very quickly, solar and wind, and to some degrees, um, you know, new, much safer, smaller nuclear reactors will be the key to that. Um, so there, you know, there is no decarbonization without these new technologies. So that's great. Um, and, and they are all sort of ready to be scaled and that the prices are going down dramatically. I mean, you know, wind and solar are now cheaper 
than certainly coal and and cheaper than gas in, in most places of the world. So you know it's a no brainer. Um, but carbon is only one of the problems we're facing, right? Um, we talk about two other problems. One is just the the collapse of the living systems. I mean, just the co- collapse of ecosystems. Like every year, all sorts of plants and animals go down by one or two percent every year because you, humans just take over their habitat. And there, technology can't do that much, right? There, it's much more of a question of us being mindful and, like your son, you know, realizing that we can per- be perfectly happy, um, you know, by by questioning our our, our lifestyles. Um, and the same, the, the third issue we talk about is sort of this pervasive pollution that most people don't know about. Like the plastics we've produced have disintegrated into microplastic that is now everywhere, including in our bloodstream, including in mom's milk that they give to their babies. I mean, it's everywhere. And we have no easy solution for that. I, I think one of the point, points that was made that we're consuming a credit card a month. In other words, what I mean that is in during this video, they break out these microplastics, which are being consumed through foods that we're eating and things that we're ingesting. And, and the reality is in the air we're breathing. And it was a wake up for me. I didn't realize that I was eating a credit card a month. Um, you know, four actually, four, 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 four a month, four, four a month. I mean, it's, it's mind boggling. So, you know, I think for people, it's a wake up call. And like you did, you said you have three main platforms, which you address and and um, food insecurity is one of them. Uh, and, I, and I want you to address that a bit because it's not just the food and how it's produced, but it's also the distribution of that food worldwide and globally. Yeah, I mean, so many people, when we think about, you know, the, the environmental challenges, think about energy, right? We think about renewable energy and electric cars, and they have a big role to play. But very few people realize that our food systems are a major part of the the problem um, and you know could be a real issue 10, 20, 30 years down the road simply to feed us. Um, so they're part of the problem because a third of all greenhouse gases come from our food systems, not from fossil fuel plants. So even if we go entirely renewable, we'll still exceed the warming that scientists tell us we should stay below just by keep producing the food the way we produce it. Um, it, the food system is is a pretty horrible system. Like if you actually look at factory farming, yeah, like right. most of the factory farms we have, like you know, there's laws that we're not allowed to film inside them because what's going on inside them is so horrible that you know people aren't aren't really allowed to know. Um, well, plus also, and I'd add too, and I think I don't know if many people know, but between the pesticides and the nitrogen-based fertilizers. Nitrogen-based fertilizers are actually exacerbating the issues that the farmers are using to get the crops to yield what they need to yield because they need a higher demand for to supply it. But those nitrogen-based products and all the runoff that's actually going into the the streams and the waters and the earth and the oceans is a is a real issue. But I don't think the average person out there is really focused on nitrogen-based fertilizer. <laughs> no, but so that, that's why we, we show these things in the film, but in a very sort of accessible way, like, you know, the, the food that we eat is, is part of the problem. But it's also sort of in the second episode, there is a much more beautiful food system that is emerging, you know, something that people generally call regenerative agriculture. Yes. Um, and there is a, a chance for us with regenerative agriculture to actually revive ecosystems 
and to make food much more secure. So one of the problems is now as the world gets warmer and as we're lacking water, is that it's not clear if we can continue you know, to feed everybody. I mean, we can already cannot con- you know, feed everybody right now. There's you know, a billion people who are um, lacking food. And we in the rich world are lucky enough that most people you know, have access to food. Um, but if you look at the bread baskets that we have in the Midwest uh, of the United States or the European bread basket, you know, they're all under threat from, from heat and drought and... Well, the aqua, the aquifers have been depleted in California here. We, we're fortunate enough to have this huge rain, which has mm-hmm. kind of filled these aquifers again. But the reality is we're talking about overtime, uh, for my listeners. And they know that this is not late today immediate. It's for us to take action today. And, you know, I'd like to know if you could share some of the success stories that you might have that have evolved from the thousands of people that have, that have viewed your mini series and participated in these sessions. What have you heard from them either individually or corporately or what's actually brewing at the week? Yeah. Let me start from the small to the bigger scale. Um, at the small scale, just we hear just so many groups that tell us like that the conversations they've had with their friends, their family, their colleagues were just the most beautiful conversations that they've ever had, not only on this topic, but but often on any topic. Like it's just, you know, brings people together to share about something that is fundamental to each and every one of our lives in a very deeply respectful way. We've had like, you know, many conversations, you know, people t- telling us like in our conversation, like I got closer to my dad who never understood me around this topic. Um, or, you know, we, I, yeah, I could, I could share lots of stories simply of like, you know, the, the, the beauty of having people engage on something respectfully, deeply over three days. Um, and then we, you know, people then make changes um, in in their lives. You know, people tell us like, hey, you know, I, I sold my second car. I was like, somebody told us like, we used to have a second, a second home, but we needed a, a plane to get there. And it no longer made any sense for us to do that. Uh, people saying like you know I, we reinvented with our friends how we holiday together and it's actually much more joyful and so people just come up with lots of stuff that we would have never imagined. Um, but knowing your that, your background in yeah. in in you know businesses and consulting yeah. businesses and and these memes and also yeah. this economic structure we've built around consumerism, okay, yeah. and you address it in it a little bit. You don't yeah. go super super deep into this area, but I'd like to get it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. Um, you know, we have already uh, indoctrinated ourselves as a species around this concept of consumption. And the more consumption we have, the more pollution, the more crap ends up in the landfills and the plastics and all the rest of the stuff that's there. And I think at the core level, though, and I don't know if you'll agree with me, but as I look at all of this, it it is really about how and what we're consuming as individuals, because the consumption has a byproduct, and the byproduct is waste. And I don't care what kind of waste it is. You even talked about the chemicals that are going into the system from consumptions of of um, antidepressants and things that people are taking. It's getting into the waterways, and then it's in the water. And I mean, you know, you you take this down to the microscopic levels. Mm-hmm. But I would like you to just address from your standpoint, because you spent so many years inside corporate America, 
helping businesses grow, right? Um, what what would you say about this level of consumption, and how would you say we ease back from it? Yeah, um, I mean that's why I'm so excited that people take the week inside their workplace and see it with their colleagues because it brings about beautiful conversations and then real questions about like, what is our business model? And should we continue the way we do? Like two days ago, we received this email from a um, fast fashion firm. You know, fast fashion is one of the main, yeah. you know, respond, you know they're, they're responsible for so much pollution, so much. And as we know, it's not even bringing people happiness, right? It's like this endless race where you have to have the latest thing and then you wear it three times and then you throw it away. Um, and so it was just beautiful to see people inside, you know, the leadership team of this fast fashion firm going through this and then saying, you know what, we're super excited to change our model. And they just wrote a lengthy email with like 50 different actions that they've decided that they want to take on coming out of this film. Um, and I think congrats, is, congrats to you, yeah, Frederick, I, I think that's, yeah, that's a great you. example. That's a great example. Yeah. And, and I think part of the reason is, is that in the whole film, like there is no blame and no shame, right? It's, it's a sort of like, hey, we're all trying to figure this out for ourselves. What can we do so that in, in 10, 20, 30 years, we're proud of what we've done so that we can look our children in the eye, that if we can look ourselves in the mirror. And everyone, depending on what your job is, you know, who your friends are, you know, we'll have a different answer. And so we, we don't blame or shame anybody. And so it makes it easy to bring this into organizations who then look at this and then say like, okay, wow, yeah, you know, let's look at our own actions and, and what can we change? What can we improve? On? Another beautiful story is, um, that we've had is um, one of the wealthiest families in, in the world, um, a shareholder family, they own businesses that employ over a million people. And, you know, they're like, it's different generations. And there's a, gr a group of three people who watched a version of the week. And then they decided we have to have, other family members watch this and they've had over a hundred family members now go through this. And, you know, it's behind closed doors, these very wealthy people, you know, that normally, you know, you don't get access to, we, we don't have access, but the films got in there. And now suddenly you have these different generations talking to each other where the young kids say to the older ones who sit on the boards of these companies, Hey, we need to change. Like we want this to change. And Coming out of that, not only through what we've done, you know, there was stuff already going on, but I, I, I'm sure it played a part. They've decided now that the top 60 presidents and CEOs of the family groups would all spend seven full days learning about the climate and making climate plans for their different organizations. Congratulations. Congratulations. And, that's, yeah. a, that's a big win. It's a very big win. You don't have to mention the companies. We all kind of get it. Um, and I know it's private, but so thank you for that. Cause I, I think just that in of itself could, could make an, it could make a huge impact. Yeah. Um, but again, it, it does come down to something that is simple about consumption. Uh, I'm not certain you or I can answer this because I don't know if we have enough background or expertise or knowledge. But when somebody manufactures something for consumption, and people in the world rely on wages and salaries for the manufacturing and consumption and distribution and everything of that particular product, whether it's Apple or it's Nike or whoever it is, there's an issue here. 
because we have have advertisers every day on TV and the media and news trying to sell us that we're not enough. And you talk about enoughness in this. And it's this whole prevailing issue of enoughness that really is sustaining that model because people are not feeling enough. So they got to get a new this or a new that, or we got to change this, or we're going to do that. Or, you know, uh, it's endless. It's endless. It's an endless cycle. Talk, if you would, a bit about that as it relates to the week. Yeah. Um, I mean, we live in a strange world where, you know, a lot of people don't get their basic needs that are met. Right. But then on the other hand, there's many people, um, middle class and, and up, um, who are on this constant rat race because there's this constant injunction from advertising that, you know, you can't possibly be happy the way you are, right? You're not enough, you know, and then they dangle something in front of us and tell us, you know, if you only own this, then you will finally be be enough, right? right? And it's it's a real, it's a real raise. I mean, if these advertisers spend billions of dollars doing that, it's because it's it's effective. Um, we talk in the film about an inflection point or, or a particular moment that happened in the United States in the 1920s. There was a moment where businesses realized that there was a new generation growing up whose basic needs were met. And then they were wondering, hey, if their basic needs are met, you know, what more can we sell them? If they're already content, like their basic needs are met. Right. And they found it like, you know, the, the only way to do that is to, you know, advertise and create false needs, needs that actually don't exist. Um, and then we satisfy them. And as soon as they're satisfied, we create more false needs. And there's an actual report that mm-hmm. people did under the Hoover administration that talks about like how we will use advertising to create <laughs> national needs that don't exist so that we keep, you know, selling. selling keep more. the economy going. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because the reality is, is that you got, we've gotten to the heart of it. The heart of it is really what you address in the video around enoughness, this feeling of not having enough and then us consuming more of something that we don't really need. Is it a need or is it a want? Um, and it's pervasive in this Western world. I won't say it's pervasive everywhere, but it is pervasive in the Western world where we're consuming probably 80% of the resources. And I think when you look at happiness, because happiness is what underneath that is one of the psychological issues. Um, that that if I get that new car or I get that new jacket or I get whatever, it's going to make me happier. And the reality is, is the studies have shown, and I think our listening audience, whether you're making 50,000, I think it was, or 60,000 or a hundred, the degree of happiness didn't go up by the amount of money that you actually made. There's a certain point where it didn't matter if it was 50,000 or it was a hundred thousand, you're, you're not any likelier to be any happy. And I think that's at the key. It's a key part of this. Um, so, you know, moving forward, I'm certainly going to continue to promote this. So what are your hopes for the screenings of the week as they continue to grow? What do you hope that can happen regarding awareness of the environmental issues? And how can each of us impact global warming, food insecurity, and sustainable farming? I mean, our hope is that it reaches as many people because we just need everybody in this right like people who do with you know deal with the food system they need you know we need to reinvent the food system and move it to regenerative agriculture everybody who deals with energy we need them on board and everybody 
Um, and so that's that's basically all of us. And so our hope is that you know people will be so touched that they keep sharing it and it you know keeps going viral um, because because people just come out of it and feel like hey I'm in some ways I'm you know I I'm a how many pe- how many people have seen it now approximately. Um, so, you know, we've, we've had 5,000 people um, do the test versions, and then we now just launched, and we've had, we must be now 20,000 people who've registered. Um, Fantastic. So, and it's going to um, continue <clears throat> to be a movement and grow, and I'm going to do my damnedest to help it do that. And, and, and then to so, your question about, like, what people do, um, what we found is really interesting. Some people, you know, they start with a basically from a blank page, they just say like, hey, I have this job and with this job, I can affect that. And that's what I will do. Um, and they just come up with their own stuff. And other people tell us like, oh, just give us a list of things to do. And so on the website of the week, after you've you know experienced it, you can just you know look at this list and you can basically start crossing things off um, sort of by, by order of importance. Um, and so, you know, some people like to use lists, other people, you know, start from a blank. From well, a blank. I think you've taken a, an issue which could be daunting. And you've turned it into something very simple. And you've turned it into something where people don't, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm not, I don't want to be this to be rude. You don't have to think. Actually, watching this documentary is more emotional based. It stirs inside of you at a, at a very heart level um, because of the way it's done. We understand at, at the fringes what's going on. We may not understand all the deep technical scientific data or information but we do understand it a key ever yes and you and you do that you and helen do an, a marvelous job of that and um so in wrapping this up if our listeners want to become involved in the movement how can they do that i know i've made a donation already i'm going to make more and because you are a nonprofit, right yeah. and yeah. you exist to serve this movement and this cause and so I guess the best way to get involved is just go to www.theweek.oo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And watch the introductory video with, you know, basically Frederick and Helen talking about it. It's very simple. And then go up there and set your group up and then send out an email. And then you'll get access to um, Vimeo and you're going to have the access to these videos. And I've done this, folks, and it is very simple, very mm-hmm. simple. You set up a time and a date. You send out an email. Say we're going to meet on Thursday night at 7 p.m. Uh, be there, be square. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think the process is really left up to you. But with Zoom and with if you've got Zoom, you can make this happen. Um you can also do it in person, you know, gather yep. people in your home or in. Yep. You, know, you can do this to the big screen. And so when I go into corporate America, which I haven't done yet, but I'm going to, I'm literally going to just open up the internet, open up their big screen, bring people into a conference room and let them watch the video and then create a discussion afterwards. Look, this isn't about the money folks. This is about us making the shift as a society. So everybody is out there listening as a consumer as the way in which you eat and consume products, the way in which you move around with your cars and your trucks and your SUVs and all the other things. And it's for you to think about, you know, every time I do this, what can I do to be more aware and environmentally sensitive about what's actually going on? So 
Would that be a good, good statement? It's a perfect statement. So I would just yeah encourage you to get a group together, you know, maybe a small group at first and test yep. it. And then often people, after they've seen it, they go like, okay, now I want everybody in my organization to see it. And then they go much bigger scale. Um, one maybe last thing I want to say is uh, we've so much equated the environmental movement with sacrifice, you know, like in order to save the planet, yeah. you know, we'll have to do with less. It always feels like you talk about the environment and it's like the end of the party. You're like, you're the party pooper. And, and, and with the week, we've really taken the opposite approach um, because I, I fundamentally believe it. I believe that the next 10, 20, 30 years are going to be an incredible human collective adventure where we can turn systems that are really messed up, a messed up food system, a messed up energy system, a messed up consumption system that is making no one happy. And we can actually create much more beautiful systems, right? Regenerative agriculture. We can rewild large parts of the world. We can you know, have much healthier streams and air, and we can be much healthier. We can recreate deeper relationships and community instead of mindless consumption. And so, you know, that I think the reason this is going viral is that because at the end, people are really inspired. They go like, I want to be part of that better world. So if you think that this is sort of a traditional environmental thing that will make you feel bad about yourself, that's not at all what it is. This is not shaming you. It's actually saying like, you know, there's maybe something much more beautiful out there. Um, and let's let's build that together. Well, and you and your wife, Helen, have just been such great advocates and you're very much bringing us into the living room. We're bringing, you're bringing us into your living room. It's real life. And, you know, I go back to the days and I'm going to tell my listeners about um, Lester Brown, who wrote Plan B 4.0 Mobilization to Save Civilization. There's all these books. Theirs is not about a doomsday. I want to really importantly say this. Uh, we do have time to shift this and change it. And the only reason that uh, Helen and Frederick are doing this, because I realize we do have t- time and they want their children to have as good or better of an existence on this planet as we have had and the reality is it doesn't look like that's the way it's going right and that is trying and i was talking to my son and and i gave him your link to the website and he's actually going to start one at adobe and he basically said you know i think about this every day because he's got a five-year-old and a four-year-old and i have grandchildren five and four and I think if you don't do this for yourself, do it for the next generation. Um, the reality is, I think everybody will be impacted. Again, uh, we're going to have all these links. I'll repeat it one more time. Go to theweek.oo. Watch the introductory video. Uh, set up your group. Have Zoom available. Do it any night of the week. I don't care how many people show up. You're making an impact. I don't care if it's one or it's five, or it's 10. It doesn't really matter. You just got to take the action. And this is the action. So thank you for being on Inside Personal Growth, Frederick, and talking about the week. It's been a pleasure. It's been an honor, actually. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you for you know doing it and now bringing it out into, into your world. Not a problem. We'll just keep doing it. That's the way things move. That's why it's called a movement. <laughs> or wait, 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 where is it? I just, where is it? It's whole movement. 
H-O-L-O-M, <laughs> the whole movement. So thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you so much. Namaste to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.